Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time I put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 26 of the Corona Diaries. Um, so we've got over the hump, over 25. Next milestone is 50. Um, that's quite depressing when you say it out loud. 50 weeks, uh, that's nearly a year. 52 it is. weeks in it, a year. It is. It is. Um, uh, H is, is looking resplendent on screen uh, after an early morning. Uh, I thought you in- said I looked like a European midfielder. Well, you you did when I first switched it on because of the way you got your band I can from your headphones. That look, You'd, yeah, you're you, thinking of like Cruyff or somebody, Johan Cruyff. Um, thinking of him? I, no, Cruyff flat. didn't. No, I was thinking it was Beckham who started that whole hair band thing off, wasn't oh, it? Oh, the hair band business. Yeah, it was the, the Alice, hair band. The Alice band. I had an Alice band before Beckham. I was I used to flounce around Hook End Manor in an Alice in an Alice band. <laughs> <laughs> It was like um, it was like being like in through the looking glass, being at hook end. So I, I I did briefly go through an an Alice in Wonderland phase, uh, and shortly before the Lord Byron phase, while I was there. You say these things, and literally nobody is surprised <laughs> anymore. <laughs> if that had been episode one. Bits of cornflake would have been spat out now, but now it's like, oh, yeah. Of course you did, H. Of course you did. <laughs> um, I, need, I must thank Julian Bailey, um, who very quickly when we, um, we... Chapter 25 went out to the, to the Purples on, uh, on Friday, and literally within a nanosecond of him listening to it, he pointed out that it was Jungle Book, not Dumbo, that I was referring to. The Corona Diaries, never knowingly accurate. <laughs> exactly. So thanks, Julian, there, for my sense of self-worth just went through the floor within a nanosecond. Oh, he's got that wrong. So People, <laughs> very, very send, me, people send me messages all the time pointing out that just about everything I've said is factually <laughs> accurate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. He <laughs> just literally, what the hell is he on? Yeah. Um, well, you, you get the drift. Oh, yeah, um, I'll tell Andy you a story. Was... Fill in your own fact. <laughs> yeah, just fill in the fact. <laughs> take take what you've heard and put the correct things in their places. Multiple choice, folks. Um, Andy Williams uh, would like some Bustio Arsizio merch. My... Uh, yes, I I saw that as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a must. Yes, perhaps, so we've got to perhaps, find a way of perhaps for the girl, way perhaps for the girls' t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, oh dear, oh. we are we 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 literally we're we're setting everything back, aren't we? It's going to Sorry. become the misogynist diaries. This at the rate we go. Sorry, going. ladies. I mean, we us boys can't walk about and with a bustio ass size. You know, shit. Mine, I suppose the girls can't really, can they? No, no. 
Only the Italians, well, they wouldn't get the joke. They'd just go, why is that funny? It's a town in Italy. Yeah. Whereas we tend to go, (laughs) Yeah. It's not even a nice town in Italy. They haven't got a Primark or anything. The Beavis and Um, Butthead kind of. You you did a thing on Friday, didn't you? Oh, did did I ever? Did you ever? Yeah, I was hanging with the... um, well, I wasn't just hanging; I was contributing uh, to the, uh, the with the Trevor Horn band again. Um, Trevor got an idea into his bonds um, to create a TV pilot for a you know for a to to pitch a TV show at TV, and um, he'd run into a guy called Chris Cowie, and Chris Cowie used to be. Um, the producer of The Tube on Channel 4 back in the wow. day. In the day. And then went and made that um, made, went and made that Red Rocks video for you too. Um, and then shot anyone who's anyone for the rest of the 80s, you know, Clapton and Phil Collins and all sorts of people. Yeah, he dropped a lot of names in the calf at one point on a Friday. Um, and... Uh, so he's done quite. He's, oh, darling, he's done them all. Um, I don't know if he's done Russ Abbott, but I didn't ask. And uh, he he. So he was shooting shooting it with uh, you know six or seven or eight or nine cameras. I didn't count them. And um, Trevor's band we was playing in um, a rehearsal complex in uh, in Wembley. Um, that I think Trevor happens to own. And um, I was invited along to sing I'm Not In Love with, with Lol, with Lol Cream um, and the band. Um, and I did. And it was great. And uh, he'd also got, I don't know how much, you may, I, there might be a limit to what I can put out, you know, because it, it's all probably secret at the moment. Mm. But there was a cast of stars, um, you know, some absolute, Stellar characters were were actually um, contributing from Los Angeles via via oh, wow. video screen as well. Uh, anyway, it was it was a lot of fun, uh, as it always is. Playing with Trevor's band, nice bunch of musicians, nice bunch of people, and uh, I had a good time. And and Trevor and Lyle seemed happy with my warbling, um, <clears throat> which is probably a result of my rigorous warm-up routine that i'm going to tell you about later yes when you ask me spoilers can, can give you details oh, of oh, how we'll i get back to that. how i get my tone right <laughs> how you how to warble well <laughs> so that was fun that was fun and and uh we'll see if it comes you know comes to anything like ends up on proper telly or anything but it was great fun yeah, but but speaking of proper telly, the other thing that's still floating around is you've still got to have a thingy go out, haven't you? A quiz show go out. Yeah, yeah. Who knows that? Yeah, because we shot that. My goodness, in February or something, February or March, we shot pointless celebs, and then there was the lockdown and all of that. So the last I heard was it was going out in October. That was sort of back in the spring, right. so um, we shall see. It it, it, it might end, end up on telly at some point. It 
was me and um, Fanny Ann from uh, M People. Now, what's her name? I've already forgotten. Very nice. Right. Very nice girl. Well, there's no point in me suggesting a name because we've clearly determined I won't get it right. Yes. Yes, in the spirit of inaccuracy, let's call her Shirley Bassey. <laughs> <laughs> Shirley Bassey from M People. Yes. It was me, it was me and her. And you and Shirley. She was very nice and we came second. Right. So we didn't win, which was a shame, but but we we, we didn't, you know. It wasn't yeah, shame, no. shameful. It wasn't a shameful loss. Sometimes coming second can be a victory in itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and we'll leave that there. That's and also, <laughs> you you did a third, on the other hand. Uh, p- pardon? <laughs> 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 oh, you slipped that in, didn't you? Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> let's leave it there now, Anthony. Let's leave it that. There. That was a Woody Allen joke, and this is true. This, is, this is true. What is? Um, he, he he said, uh, "Sex between two people is a beautiful thing. <laughs> between five, it's fantastic." <laughs> oh, God. And that was a very early Woody Allen joke. That's like a sixties Woody Allen joke, that. right? Not in my and, experience, but then, uh, you know, maybe. and not in his sixties, though. That's All right. Um, you, you you did a Twitter listening party as well. You've had oh, a fairly full-on week, haven't you? Yeah, I have, actually. I've, I've got all sorts of mad shit going on at the moment. Yeah, I, uh, Tim Tim's Twitter listening party I did. Um, yes. Tim Burgess, I think he is, from the yes. Charlatans. And that was quite good fun. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was an interesting process because um, the idea is, just for those who don't know, what it's about i mean i guess a lot of the a lot of my purple patrons were, were, were probably involved in that and had logged on and were listening but if you didn't know anything about it what you're supposed to do is it was for, it was the fear album it was the marillion fear album the last one and basically at five thirty in the evening you put it you put it in your machine and you press play and everybody presses play at once wherever they happen to be in the world and then you you Twitter comments about what's going on, and and the artist um, Twitter's comments too, and says, "Oh, this was the bit where, you know, what well, whatever, you know, the um, that you know the drums caught fire or or, or whatever." Um, so you you try and add your own personal recollections to to the process. Um, I didn't have that many recollections because I can't recall anything. Um, but I did explain why I'd written the words and what I was banging on about from section to section. You know, I, the, my emphasis was really on the words. And so um, I wrote it all down. I, I listened through during the day. I had a little run, run, dry run on my own and I listened through and made notes. And then I read my notes and they sounded like the complete works of Trotsky. Um, but, but that's basically how I felt. So, um, so then, then I found Lucy up and Lucy, um, you know, started talking to me about Twitter and which, which icons to click on and how you retweet something and how you do this and how you do that. And I just went, I've no idea what you're talking about. And she went, oh, God. 
I'd, I'm going to have to come there and do it. And I said, that's a very good idea. So, <laughs> so she came here and uh, she, <laughs> she took one look at what I'd written uh, and uh, <clears throat> being slightly to the left of Stalin herself, that didn't offend her. But, um, but what, what, what did transpire from that is that apparently with a tweet you can only have 120 characters which is about two and a half lines. It's nothing. Um, and, of course, I'm quite verbose, and so I'd written great rambling paragraphs about about each moment in the music, and she was saying, we're never going to be able to fit this in. Um, so I had to rearrange it all and snip it, snip it all up into little two-and-a-half-line bits, which uh, I then emailed to her so that she'd have them ready to go so she could upload them as the thing was happening because I'd never get that together. God knows what would have happened if I'd have been in control. It'd still be going now. <laughs> it would still be going somewhere. It wouldn't be going where <laughs> it was supposed to be going for a kickoff. But it, um, So she she actually, you know, sat next to me while I went, now, now, do, do that now, do that now, and, and the next bit, and the next bit, and the next bit, not the next bit, not the next bit. Uh, so it's a bit like that. Uh, whilst drinking gin and and becoming slightly less accurate as time passed. But it went all right, I think. But there was a, like a resounding vacuum after it. I mean, I've, nobody's mentioned it. I think I've had one comment from one guy who left a message on the HGS book saying, oh, I really enjoyed it, it was brilliant, and that's all I've heard. So I've probably offended a great many more people than, than, than I've turned on uh, with it. Although we did have some positive comments, you know, coming in live from people saying, I haven't listened to Marillion in years and this is amazing and I'm going to go out and buy it and, you know, this is a really interesting album. Um, so I think we turned, you know, I think we turned a few new people on and and we probably, you know, multiply that by 10 is probably the number of people I turned off with my <laughs> radical comments. <laughs> I don't think they were that radical, really. Were they not? Did you see no. them? I, I, I did have a little scroll through. Oh, and, okay. Uh, and I think you were. I, I don't know. In fact, I, did, it, it I didn't me... encourage a mob to string Tony Blair up, which is what I really meant. I didn't actually say that. No, no, no. no. Uh, you, you, you were, you were slightly more forceful on tone than I thought you'd perhaps be. But you know, there was a lot of other stuff underneath that was. Uh, uh, you know, I get a little bit more annoyed about some of the stuff to do with Boris and some of the other people that are now in very prominent positions and this, that, and the other that were that you know and, and are getting knighthoods and what have you. That you know, but no, I don't think you were. I don't think you were over. Yes, Lord Evgeny Lebedev. Apparently, yes. yes. Thank you yes. very much. I mean, yes. that's. I mean, you do want you do want the son of an oligarch in the House of Lords, don't you? That's exactly what what you want in the House of Lords. Well, well, it's handy because obviously most of his money laundering activity is here anyway, so it means he, he's got a little bit of something to do in the afternoons. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I should shut up, but it's, well, uh, we're living oh, in scary times. Oh, when, proper when, scary. When that's possible, you would you just wouldn't think that was possible, would you? No. I mean, Yevgeny might be a very nice guy, but his father is. You know, cheek to cheek with with Vladimir Putin. Mm. What on earth is he doing in the House of Lords? 
what on earth is Boris up to? You know, what on earth is Boris on? Um, scary, scary mm. times. We'll leave that, but I sense we might come back to it because actually I, when I was watching the comments come in, I did think, do you know what, we ought to do a po- at least one podcast on some of the lyrics behind Fear um, because it's not going away. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we ought to do that at some point. It's, we'll put about, up, we'll a lo- put... it's about a loss of faith, really, in in everything that you qu- you know quietly believed in when you mm. were growing up. You know, it's it's like it, the scales falling from your eyes. Mm. We'll, and, we will come back to that. Mm. Um, <clears throat> just to bring it back um, a little lighter, Linda Allen has asked that is the girl from the diary. In 25, the one in the car, the open-top sports car, is she the one overtaking in the open car? Is she the one overtaking? She can't be. She can't be. She wasn't. Um, although it was a, a, bit, a bit of a... She could well have been, couldn't she? Yeah. It, it, was a, um, it was a strange coincidence because that sort mm. of stuff doesn't happen to people very often. No. Um, and it's, it's only happened to me once. Uh, which was that particular day, and I could have written that lyric, you know, that same afternoon follow, following that. But no, I had already written that and recorded it, and recorded it, released it, and whatnot. Yeah. I can't remember which tour was that um, that we're on at this point. It was the holidays tour, so it was you were not so only it, you recorded it, you were probably it, banging it out every it, night. It was out, yeah. In fact, she oh. might have been imitating art. Life imitating art, imitating life. Maybe she had it on the radio and thought, oh. Oh, oh. (laughs) I don't think she really... Well, there was nothing to to kind of suggest that it was us on the bus. It was just a rock and roll bus, you know. It didn't say Marillion down the side or anything like that. We tend to keep it quiet, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we go into the main kind of question uh, Mm. of of the episode, of the chapter... Mm. um, one thing I was going to say, uh, I heard something on another podcast um, that it's, it helps people who aren't already switched on to the Corona Diaries to find it um, if there are quite a lot of reviews, particularly if those reviews are positive. Right. And I just thought, do you know what, we've got quite a lot of people listening to this now on a, mm. on a sort of a weekly basis. So maybe uh, we could ask if you, if you fancy leaving a review... Hmm. You fancy just jotting a few lines down that, that you know, I mean, if you really don't want to say anything nice, then probably ask if you don't. But if you fancy saying something positive, uh, you know, and if you can find words to describe what this is, because we, we haven't got a clue, um, then maybe you could go to Apple and leave a review. Oh, go to Apple and leave a review. <coughs> maybe because I should that... go and leave one. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it, it it might it might push us in the direction of other people. I could quote Lisa. God, those two guys are cute. <laughs> Steve Hogarth. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah. So, a little a little ask now yeah. for everybody. If you if you fancy going to leave a review, going to Apple and Living Good or any anywhere that does reviews for podcasts, it would help. You know, throw this up the lists a bit and help people who. Has yet, because there are people out there who don't know about Corona Diaries. The poor buggers. Exactly. Exactly. You've got, so if, if you could, you've got you a feel for them, haven't you? Yeah, you have. You have. 
because um, we've not tried to sell them anything yet. So no, um, no I'm trying to sell anyone anything yet. No, either, really. no, no. I've ordered. I'm, I'm 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 very close to ordering a bit of swag though. I've yeah. I've ordered the pins, and we've well, ordered them. Well, nearly, and I've, I've they're sending me samples. I want right. to check check that they're cool before we push the button, and. Um, I like the look of the bookmarks as well. I've got a ah. look at the purple leather bookmarks. They're, they're looking quite nice. Ah. So, uh, yes, I'm, I'm on the verge of having stock. Ooh. So then we'll we'll put we'll put things on sale soon. Ooh. Ooh. And I know we've been talking about it now for bloody weeks. Yeah, since we started, actually. Yeah, it's a good yeah, job I'm not much. running Marks and Spencers, isn't it? <laughs> Be nothing on the shelves. Well, well, have you been in Marks and Spencers recently? <laughs> Um. <laughs> Steve H says the sausage rolls are coming. <laughs> you do know somebody's going to want that on a T-shirt. They're in the final stage of design. <laughs> right. Anyway, the, yeah. the main topic of conversation, because we've, we've wild away 15, 20 minutes. Mm. Um, mm. Dave Wright yeah. uh, messaged you directly, I believe, um, on on uh, on. Patreon. Yes. Well, you always can. Uh, you can, indeed. Uh, and just to prove that, that all these messages are read and, and we do take note and you, you know. They are. All... I can't, I can't, my inbox is absolutely rammed with them. Yeah. yeah. And um, I do read them. Dave came up with two or three questions, which, do you know what, we thought were probably worth exploring because it's about your voice. Hmm. The art of being a singer. Me, me, me. Um, yes. Well, I'm. This is going to be a really non-answer because um, I have been asked, you know, from time to time over the years, um, what what I do and and how I warm up and how I look after my voice. Um, and I did years and years ago when I was in the Europeans. I went to a vocal coach called Tona de Brett. And she was in West Hampstead. And she'd coached all sorts of singers, uh, famous and, yeah, quite a few famous singers. Um, and um, I thought, well, I'd better go. I'd better go and, you know, find out how to be a proper singer because I've, I've, I've always just been in bands playing in pubs and clubs and things so i went and i saw her and i think i had a couple of sessions with her and she said there's nothing i can teach you darling she said your breathing is perfect and your tone is lovely and blah blah blah, blah. there's really nothing i can teach you at all i feel terrible taking your money but by that point i was kind of you know I was almost in love with her at that point, so I just kept going, just for the pleasure of being around her. Um, <laughs> and she used to sit at the piano, and you uh, know, and she'd go, and I'd be going, thinking, this is a bit strange, isn't it? Um, I'm glad nobody can see it. Um, so. She sort of taught me, you know, how to warm up and, 
you know, do, and she used to have you doing tongue twisters as well. Rubber baby buggy bumpers, rubber baby buggy bumpers, rubber baby buggy bumpers, proper copper coffee pot, proper copper coffee pot, proper copper, I can't, still can't do it, proper copper, <laughs> proper copper coffee pot, proper copper coffee pot. She done me doing that and red, red lorry, yellow lorry and all of that. Um, in fact, I was in a, <laughs> I was with this guy um, uh, whose name escapes me, so it's a pointless story. But I was one of Trevor's singers last week. We were talking about all of these, and and he knew them all as well because he'd done he'd done time um, on the uh, on, on the West End when he was younger, so he'd done less. But what I'm trying to put off really uh, is the fact that I don't do anything at all, and I don't warm up. <laughs> Before I go on stage, I don't do anything. Um, right. I don't even, I, I mean, I don't do anything. I don't sing scales. I don't warm up. I just walk onto the stage. I, I mean, I, I'll have I'll have half a glass of tequila and Red Bull and that's, that's my regime. And, I, <laughs> and the tequila and Red Bull is not for my voice, it's for my brain. Um, you know, to get my attitude sorted before I I start. Um, so unlike a lot of singers, I don't I don't do anything. I don't do scales. I don't warm up. And as for um, maintaining my voice and looking after my voice, I don't do any of that either. Um, <laughs> I did. I did go through very. I mean, back in the old days when I was singing on wedge monitors and really had to scream my head off all the time every night to be heard or to or to pitch or anything. Um, I was constantly struggling with my voice because by two sh- two shows into a tour, I would be as you know, I'd be I wouldn't be hoarse, but I would be well on the way to being hoarse. The first thing to go is is my falsetto. Um, so as soon as my voice is strained and I go, and I, you know, and I I throw it into falsetto instead of it going there, it just goes, ah! um, and that's soul destroying, um, and you know, really, really upsets me when I when I can't do what I know I can do. Um, that that that's always awful. Um, and so back in those days, I'd got various tour managers who'd work with. There was a there was one guy I worked with, and he'd worked with Sting, and he said, "Oh, Sting uses uh, you know pineapple juice and honey and pineapple, honey and no, it has to be fresh pineapple, honey and fresh pineapple." So I did I did half of the Brave tour, imbibing loads of honey and pineapple. Then somebody else told me that aloe vera juice was very, very good for the voice and I did half a tour drinking a lot of aloe vera juice. Both gave me diarrhoea and didn't do a damn thing for my voice. <laughs> so I just used to spend a lot more time on the toilet um, with no with no, n- no obvious benefit. <laughs> could have practised your scales. <laughs> so I could have practised my scales, it's true. <laughs> you do get a nice reverb in, in you it. You do. <laughs> um, so no, I mean the, the the truth is that my rigorous vocal regime is not doesn't really exist. There isn't one. Um, I'm fortunate that I can sing like this without doing any of it. Um, you could argue that if if I 
if I was a bit more disciplined, maybe I'd sing better. Um, but I'm not, and I don't. Mm. Complete natural. <laughs> <laughs> blessed. I, I'm just blessed, basically, and. Well, we all feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried? Have you tried the vocal zone lozenges? If if I had a full head of teeth, I'd feel even more blessed. Um, You're only missing the one. I know. So far, I worry about the stress on the remain remaining tooth. Though now, I'll finally get in for this implant. That you know, just as just as another one falls out. Um, Vocal lozenges. Yes, I've yes I've heard of those. I've had those. They've been rattling around the bottom of my toilet bag as well. But I I I would say in closing that in my experience, once your horse or your voice is strained, nothing will fix it except rest and a lot of rest. And you need about best part of a week really. Before, before you're you're back to singing well, yeah. and of course, when you're touring, you never get a week. You never get a week. You, you'd be lucky. You you get a day off between shows. Um, we used to do five shows in a row back in the kind of holidays and Eden days and seasons end days. It was perfectly common for me to do five on the bounce and then have a day off. And I was just hoarse all the time. Um, so in more recent times, you know, the last couple of tours, I've I've sent a Lucy two in a row, Max, two in a row, day off. And I've found that by doing that, I mean, although we don't make as much money as we would if we were doing five in a row, at least I've got a voice every night when I go out there. Yeah. You know, and I, I've been singing well the last couple of tours and people have said you're singing really well and it's it's just because, you know, um, I, I, I'm not having to stress my voice to the point where it's, it's, it's 80%. And I've done most of my career with my voice at 80% live and it's great to go out there and know you've got 90, 95 and some nights 100, mm. you know. Also, singing singing regularly, you sing better. It is like a muscle and it gets fit and, you know, it usually gets fit in rehearsal. If we're rehearsing every day and running the set, then after two or three days, I'm, you know, I'm usually singing like a bird and gets really strong. Um, so you, you kind of do have to train for it a little bit. But having said that, I don't. And but you, one thing you did say there, and we've talked a little bit, a little bit about this before, is that whole thing of being on in ears as well, because that that helps, doesn't it? You're not you're not massing over things. Yeah, it massively helps, and it doesn't just help with preserving the voice. It it helps with your your the um, every aspect of of your performance, because you're not shouting. You you're actually singing, and you've got you've got enough room for expression and soul and feeling. Um, and and so since I've been on in-ears, I've become a much better singer in the sense that I'm conveying a message rather than just hollering, you know. Um, 
So yeah, and and because you don't, I don't spend the whole night screaming my head off just to hear myself over a drum kit. Because if you can't hear yourself, you can't pitch either. Um, so in ears has changed my life. Everybody said, you know, you'll never go back. You'll never go back once you, you know, it'll be weird when you first wear them, but you'll never go back. And that's exactly how it was. It was weird when I first wore them because I'd been used to two, two loudspeakers at my feet blaring away and being in the room as well. That's what you lose within ears. You you you're not in the room, but I I dig one out. Mm. I dig one out. So I'm 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 working a lot of the time on one. I leave the right the right one in, and I dig the left one halfway out, and then I'm in the room as well. Mm. Um, and so I you know I fiddle with them all you know all night. If I've got something really quiet that needs to be you know accurate and you know then i then i then i bash both of them in and then as soon as soon as i'm through that i dig one i'll dig, dig the left one halfway out again and it always um, always falls out and it always goes down my shirt and i can't find it so i, I spend after gigs trying to find the bloody things as well as, you, as you'll you'll have noticed if you've uh, yeah. seen me often <laughs> <laughs> where is it where is it sometimes nick todd has to run on and <laughs> help me out um dave finished by asking what's the most challenging song to sing and which, which is the one that pushes your voice to the limit well the one that the, the obvious one that pushes me to the limit is the is the last the last long note of this strange engine which is essentially a scream um and so I, we, I usually save TSC for the final encore because I'm not going to be good for much once I've done that. Um, although I have been known to do it earlier in the set, but but then I have to kind of walk that line between between it it being a scream and it tearing my neck inside out. So I have to be a bit careful if if I know there's more to do after it. That's that's probably the one that does the most damage um but songs that are hard to sing i've always been scared of singing dry land um the high notes in that chorus are very high and they're in full voice they're not in and out of falsetto and it's quite a complex he said, singing it about five, seven times lower than it is. Um, so when it's sung in the in the key it's in, it's 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 high and it's complex. And so to hit the notes and to pitch them and get 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 the intonation right is is you know, it's doable but but I'm always reluctant to do it, you know, and so we don't we don't perform that song very often because I basically chicken out. Um, so it's funny because some songs that that you'd think, oh, I bet that's really hard to sing, are dead easy, and some that you'd think, oh, well, you'd breeze through that, are an absolute cow. A good example of that is uh, "Go," you know, the, the turn your life upside down one. Um, Technically, I find that really, really hard to sing, um, and it's the length of the notes. 
it's because it's quite slow. And turn your life upside down. And and if you sing those notes short, it sounds like a real non-event. And it's so floaty. Um, And it's quite dreamy. So those notes really need singing long if it's to work. And that's technically quite difficult. You need a lot of breath. Um, So go is an absolute sod although you wouldn't think so. And perhaps other songs that you'd think are are hard, like Season's End. I always breeze through that. I find that, you know, although it's quite high, um, that one suits my voice quite well. So there are some, some keys and melodies that just suit suit the voice and are therefore so much easier to, to sing, you know, and so much more enjoyable to sing. And then there are others that are just a little bit, a bit tricky. That mm. five four section at the end of uh, Easter, you know, what will do you do? Make a stone of your heart, and all of that. That's hard because it's it's high, and I I could I could sing higher. Back back in those days, more I can still do it, you know. But you need to catch me on good days. Mm. Um, and we've never we, have we dropped the key of anything. I think the only song we've ever dropped the key of ever is the space, mm. because that end section of the space is again is sky. It's not just sky high, but it's relentless. Everybody in the hole of the world. And it stays up there and it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. So it's not just, you're not just in and out of it. You're, you, I'm right at the top of my range and I, then I'm staying there for ages. Um, so that one became a big ask and we decided that rather than just play it once in a blue moon in the key we recorded it in we'd drop it a semitone and and that way we'd be able to play it a bit more often but we've never we never we never drop anything i think there's only that and the very last section of the sky above the rain we dropped a semitone compared to where we recorded it it actually drops a semitone um, because, again, that's sky high, and it was it was proving tricky to sing. I can still do it, but there's no point in me doing it, you know, if it just means me hollering and screaming and not really being able to inject any soul into it. But then, when we rearranged "Sky Above the Rain" um, with the the with the classical elements, we completely rewrote the end of it anyway. You know, it's another piece of music, mm. which is much. In you know, for me, it's it, I much prefer singing that arrangement, not because it's high or low, but just because it's got a lot more soul and I, I believe it a lot more. Cool. Right. Well, um, thanks for the question, Dave, and. Uh, and <laughs> that is, it, it was interesting because the follow-on f- from me was going to be about the keys, which you answered at the end, but it's interesting that only those two have... Because uh, if you'd have asked me, I probably would have plumped for the space. 
just because that always seems that ending does seem to be you know um fairly unforgiving yeah we dropped the entire song of samitan i think yeah um, and that would have been the one that I would have thrown in as a difficult one to sing. But no, thanks for the question, Dave. That was great. Um, we'll move on to we'll move on to Diary, um, um, which I think is um, the, the bits of last bits of being in the US. And I was in LA. Yeah, chewing gum on my jacket, wasn't it? You were. Last, you uh, were. You just you just yeah. put your elbow in some chewing gum. I lent on the bar. It's probably that's, a, probably a so rock and roll. Yeah, have, probably a velvet jacket as well. Oh, bound to be. Completely ruined. Aren't you supposed to freeze it <laughs> to get it off? In LA. As, but yeah, ice cubes, they reckon. Yeah. It doesn't bloody work. All oh, right, okay. okay. I, I'm now so conscious of anything I say that they will just be completely inaccurate. I only know one thing. There's a woman in Poland who can get stains out of white shirt collars. And 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 hair dye, particularly sweated hair dye into white shirt collars. There's what there's somebody in Poland who can who, who knows what to do. <laughs> That's all I know. Right there, we have it. We'll leave it there. I right, don't go know on. Who then. she is or where she is, but I've, I, you know, if I ever pin her down, I'll take her on the, on the road with me. Have you got? I mean, not got something like the bat light that you can shine out of your window when you need her services. I don't know what the <laughs> I don't know what the symbol would be. A cabbage. <laughs> if anybody looks into the skies tonight and they see a cabbage, then H is in need of some kind of support. You do know that people yeah. are going to want a cabbage light H, now. H has got his shirts in the wash. He's just, he's had his roots done and he's been sweating. Right. Right. Let's move on to diary. Over to you then, isn't it? There's also a Chinese woman in San Francisco who put a line in in my leather jacket and made a great job of it. So if ever you're in San Francisco and you need anything relined, it's where you need to be. Anyway, uh, yes, let's go to Los Angeles. Tuesday, 14th of April, Los Angeles Variety Arts Theatre. Rose around nine, showered and went out for breakfast to my usual breakfast cafe on Sunset Boulevard with Mark, Wes and Andy, drum tech. After ordering, I popped next door to Bloomers and bought a dress for Sophie. We all walked back to La Reve at 11.30 for a meeting with Bill Smith at 12. He was on the roof by the pool with Andrew Douglas, cameraman for the forthcoming Sympathy video. He'd bought chromolins of the singles collection sleeve, and typically it looks good. I preferred the single sleeve to the album cover, but never mind. As usual, it's too late to change anything. Caught a cab with Pete and John A to the IRS office. I must admit I felt a bit uncomfortable at the prospect of lunch with Miles Copeland and Jay Boberg. I'd met Miles some years ago at the Salston Park Hotel, Croydon, and he was uptight and uncommunicative to the point of paranoia. 
I shouldn't have worried. Jay was friendly and pleasant and seemed like a real gentleman. Miles seemed a little on stage, but eased up during lunch and then seemed relaxed. I still can't believe that after prompting from Steve O'Glendenning, I did the Jean October routine right into Miles's face. Europeans supported Jean's band Chelsea many years ago, and I remember Jean saying the following to me. Jean had the general demeanour of a pirate, so if you apply an over-the-top pirate delivery to the following, you won't be far off. You see, I owe Miles Copeland 70 grand. And he says to me, Jean, I want you to tour, see? And I says to him, yeah, but I don't want to do it, see? And then he says to me, yeah, but you owe me 70 grand. So I have to do it, see? To my relief, he seemed most amused. I do believe that Miles, as far as is possible, tries to find ways to help displaced talent and despite his hard-headed reputation, has motives based more on the well-being of those he represents than on the financial aspect. I have seen firsthand how he's tried to help my friend Daryl Way over the years. After lunch, which was the best broiled salmon I've ever had, we went back to IRS where we encountered Nancy Shemes and David Millman packing their things. They were leaving. It was awkward and sad to be saying goodbye so soon after meeting these charming people. They all said they were coming to the show, which was touching considering. Nancy drove me to the guitar centre on Sunset where I ogled my way round the walls. Everything seems dearer here than in Boulder, Colorado. I made Nancy a present of some beads I'd been wearing by way of a thanks and sorry present. Soundcheck went really well. The opening act, Dada, watched from the wings and seemed genuinely impressed. I returned across town to La Rev and had half an hour alone under the stars on the roof in the pool and jacuzzi before returning to the show. This was, of course, the big one, sold out and with probably the whole of IRS in attendance or what was left of it. We gave it all we've got. I fought hard against being spooked by Miles Copeland's attendance and tried not to overplay the performance. As luck would have it, the rest had helped my voice and I was singing at my best. I came off stage elated. Miles came back shortly after. He seemed excited too. I hear you can act, he said. Yep, I said. Who wouldn't? I've got a script I'd like you to have a look at. Bloody hell. I quickly showered and went to the next room where chaos ensued. Once again, security was leaky and talking to the record label meant wading through over-enthusiastic but well-meaning members of the audience who'd come back along with our guests. It all seemed to add to the vibe, though, which was electric. Barbara Boland seemed thrilled and stunned me by planting me a big kiss square on the mouth. You could have knocked me over with a feather. I thanked everyone for coming and tried not to bask visibly in the attention and compliments I was receiving. Can shows like this really make a difference long term? We'll wait and see. Wednesday, 15th of April. San Jose Cabaret. 
Checked into the Howard Johnson around 11 in the morning. Met Joe S. in the lobby at one o'clock, who took me to the local radio station for an interview. On the way back, I dropped into the local guitar centre and tried a few Les Pauls before spotting a Rickenbacker 12 string. It was all downhill from there. I tried it through an amp, and that was it. Love. Nearly missed the sound check trying to get out of the guitar shop. During the rest of the day, I gradually decided I must buy the 12-string and I made plans to go back in the morning. Sound check was laborious, more monitor problems. There were people sitting outside the venue already. Some had been there all day, so I sat outside and chatted to them in the sun. After the sound check, I returned to the hotel and went to bed for much-needed sleep. Once again, the show went really well. I wasn't on the same form vocally as last night, but we still delivered and left the place jumping. Back at the hotel, I chatted with Priv until three in the morning and then went to bed to dream of 12 strings. Thursday, 16th of April. San Francisco Bimbos. There's a name for a club. Woke at ten and spent the morning trying to buy a guitar. They wouldn't accept my visa because it was over the credit limit, thanks to Dizzy's air tickets. So in the end, Joe Rothery put it on her Amex. Thank you, my lady. And what a beauty it is. A Tom Petty solid body sunburst finished with checkerboard edging and Rickenbacker's distinctive shark's tooth fret markers. Steve, Pete, Joe, Ray and I drove to the CD warehouse, San Jose, to perform the last acoustic set to an assembled crowd of about 200 people. Much signing of stuff followed and I managed to acquire the Who's Greatest Hits and the Rare Bird CD before wandering next door but one to order a tuna sandwich and then back, briefly, to the Phoenix Hotel to catch another glimpse of my new guitar on the bed. Rickenbackers come with a birth certificate which shows the date the guitar was finished at the factory. I found the certificate in a pocket in the case and, to my amazement, discovered it had been born on May the 14th, my birthday. What a coincidence. It was meant to be. We drove to San Francisco and arrived at the venue around four. Oh dear. It looks like some kind of chintzy jazz club. The crew were depressed and the mains keeps tripping. What a terrible way to finish a tour. Went back to the Phoenix Hotel, an urban resort, unquote, which I like a lot. It's like a San Franciscan bottlings with art and piped birdsong which comes through discreet speakers around a central swimming pool surrounded by motel-like rooms. That's another good thing about being signed to IRS. They have a happy knack of finding groovy hotels. At the sound check at six, nothing was happening. Dada were opening and waited patiently and increasingly dejectedly for hours until we left the stage. I really don't like our sound checks. Their guitar player, Michael, had his parents come into the show, so he must have been heartbroken. When we later returned to the gig, he told me that their set had gone well, so that eased my conscience a bit. Our set went well, despite the limitations of the venue and equipment. 
Afterwards, we returned to the Phoenix for a bit of a tipple with John Arneson and the chaps from Dardan. Michael said he wished I'd produced their album instead of Ken Scott and said perhaps I should do their next one. I wouldn't mind. Gave Wes the Ricky so that he could ship it back to the UK with the rest of the backline. I wonder if the customs man will impound it. Friday, 17th of April. San Francisco to Mexico City. Got up, packed, drank coffee and checked out. Boarded the tour bus to take us one last short journey to the airport. Said bye-bye to Mike, the bus driver from Nashville, who had been brilliant throughout this tour. Ate dodgy Chinese food in San Francisco airport and boarded the plane to Mexico. Saturday, 18th of April. Mexico. Sympathy video shoot. Woken at 7.05 by Ray's alarm call. Went back to sleep and dreamt that I'd got up, had a shower and I was going up and down in a lift. When the phone rang again and it was Ray to say that it was 8.20 and we should have left at 8. Oh dear. Showered at the speed of light and we were underway by 8.45, clutching clothes and shoes. It was a long drive over bad roads. We arrived at Ometusco Station, middle of nowhere, Mexico, two minutes too late to do the first shot with the train, which had just been through the station. It was our only chance, and Bill and Andrew were furious. I said sorry. The day was spent moving from location to location, shooting the video for our forthcoming single, Sympathy. I got to drive an old Cadillac. Other highlights were spinning around in desert dust and spending the whole day with no socks and laceless black shoes. Ouch. The band was set up out in the open inside a chalk circle which Bill and Andrew had drawn the day before. There was a family living in the station, loads of urchin kids, and they all assembled to watch the performance, so we filmed them too. All being well, it should look great. The Mexicans were typically shabby and dusty, typically smiley, especially the children, who sat in the Cadillac giggling. When the light finally gave out in the evening, we returned bouncing along non-existent roads for the first hot, sweaty, dusty 40 minutes until we joined the freeway, whereupon our arses actually maintained constant contact with the seats, and then back to Mexico City. We regrouped at ten for dinner at the hotel. I nearly fell asleep into mine. Went to bed at midnight and died until 11am. Sunday, 19th of April. Mexico City, day off. Well, it started as a day off. Woke up much refreshed for a lion and desperate for coffee. Was told by room service that today is Easter Sunday, so the restaurant is closed. Mexicans are devout and no one works on Easter Sunday. Down in the lobby of the Holiday Inn, I thought they'd dropped the bomb. There wasn't a soul anywhere. Reception was all closed up. Even the escalators down to the street level were switched off. After a while, I ran into Pete and he told me I could get coffee at a fried chicken takeaway place across the intersection. I didn't have any pesos, so Pete lent me the equivalent of a few pounds and I set off across the road. Suitably coffeed up, I returned with my precious cargo, 
when a shoeshine man persuaded me to come over and have, quote, the best shoeshine in Mexico City. I finished the shoes with special oil, amigo. Very good. Will last long time. You a musician? Last week, I shined the shoes of Vince Clark from Yazoo. Very nice man. He gave me a very nice shoe shine to my black leather tractor sole slip-ons and, getting the exchange rate wrong by a factor of 10, I paid him the equivalent of £28 for it. Turns out Pete hadn't given me three quid, he'd given me 30 quid. I guess the shoeshine man took the rest of the day off to celebrate. Fair enough. I think those shoes weren't much more than 28 quid new. Met up with everyone in the lobby at one o'clock. We were to go to the market to shop for trinkets and gifts, but Bill wanted me in the video clothes, just in case. I did a bit of shopping, bought a silver chain and earrings for Dizzy. Vowed to go back and buy carved wooden screens when we're here with a truck. They're quite Balinese looking, but are brightly coloured and decorated in the Aztec style. After a couple of hours, we left and drove to another market, the Witch's Market, where you can buy anything from soil, herbs, toys, honey, sunflower seeds, to birds, dogs, fish, eels and even snakes. We shot quite a bit more video here and I asked one of the traders if I could hold his boa constrictor. Make a wish, hombre, he said. Although I don't speak the language, I am able to squeeze a giggle out of most of the traders, their women and their children. The Mexicans have a lovely spirit about them. Next we went to a church square which was packed with people walking, sitting at outdoor bar tables and browsing the jewellery and knickknacks for sale on the pavement. Bill and Andrew wove their way through the crowd in search of Easter dancing to capture, whilst Pete and I found a bar and had a couple of beers. Went out to eat in the evening. Ray entertained all and sundry with his magic tricks. Andrew Douglas was hilariously taken in. He prefers to believe in magic, as do I. P.S. It turns out that Bill and Andrew inadvertently left quite a lot of the movie footage in the church in Mexico. This was discovered when they got back to England. Hasta la vista. The sympathy video was edited together from what remained. It's still not bad. And we're back. <laughs> Nature's just lost it again completely. <laughs> oh, we need oh, that on a T-shirt, don't we? We are back. We are back. We are back. And uh, a nice little section of diary. Um, interesting because I got a message from um, somebody on Instagram. Marv Smooth on Instagram sent Marv me a message. Marv Smooth? Marv. Oh, Marv. Mars yeah. Smooth, that'd be a name, wouldn't it, for a guitarist? <laughs> oh, Mars Smooth. <laughs> on yeah. guitar. Oh. <laughs> on lead guitar. Mars, Mars Smooth, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, right. um, sorry, Marv. Uh, Mars uh, Smooth. Um, because he'd mentioned that in Chapter 23, he said, oh, you've already talked about the birthday cake. Uh, not the birthday cake, the <laughs> chocolate cake, where you were handed side stage. And I said, yeah, with just the diary catching up with, with the story we've, we've told before. But then we've... Um, 
we've talked a little bit about the Rickenbacker, haven't we? We have. And that we collides in this episode as well, doesn't it? It does, yeah. That was when I bought it. I bought it in San Jose. Um, and uh, it's such a beautiful guitar and quite unusual. And uh, I ended up lending it to Dave Gregory for a best part of a decade, you know, on the grounds that, that it was shameful that I should own it if he didn't. Um because he knew how to make it go down, 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 down. And when I played it, it just went, uh. uh and I thought there's something wrong with it when I bought it, but it wasn't. It was something wrong with me. Um, so Dave had it for years and years and years, and he played it on the H band tour as well. And um, yeah, there's the, the really interesting fact was that after I bought it and got it back to the, the Phoenix Hotel in uh, San Francisco. And open the box, open the case, and then open the little flap inside the case. There was a little certificate saying that it had been made on May the fourteenth, which is my bloody birthday, yeah. and I didn't know. And that so that was incredible. Serendipitous. Three hundred sixty-five to one chance yeah. of that happening. Yeah, it was serendipitous. It's a beautiful thing, and I did. I have actually taken it back off Dave now. Have you? Yeah, I left it with him just for long enough for him to think he'd have it forever and then I phoned him up and asked it back. Um, and I think he might have been out and bought himself another one since because he got so used to playing it, you know, it had almost become one of his main guitars, even though he's got hundreds. He'd, he'd sort of settled on it. Um, and I played it for that rang, thunderclap Newman moment that I mentioned in the... Twitter listening party uh, in in the levers, um, and I would just use it for the, for those chords, and the, you know, and that would be it. Uh, one moment in one song in the entire show, so I could go. God, that makes me happy doing that. Makes me it make me much more happy than anything else I do in a show. <laughs> it's that moment. It's like, oh my. God, uh, right. I've done it. I'll give it back now. Put it back in the box. Yeah, that's the end of that. Well, Dave Grace can take some comfort in the fact that he makes you that happy. Bearing in mind you've you know stolen it back off him, and I know appreciate it's yours, but you've had it back off him for one moment in a in a live in a live. Well, show. he he'd only have to phone me. I've told him that. He's saying, yeah, but need it. Just give me a jingle. It's yours. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah. You know. Nice that that's collided. So, yes, these things do happen. We are catching up with ourselves and bits of diary is now merging with things that we've talked about, which is good. Mm. Which is good. Um, mm. You also... Um, and lunch with Miles Copeland as well. Well, yes, yes. And I'm... Because obviously we've not recorded the diary bit because we patched this together in a weird order. But I'm looking forward to the voice. Well, Miles. <laughs> well, you did, a, you did a little voice, didn't you, for... Uh, Kind of pirate, Cockney pirate. Was oh, about Gene, the Gene October. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that was Gene's voice. I met Gene when uh, we did a gig somewhere in Birmingham uh, back back in the eighties, and Europeans opened for Chelsea. Um, who? I mean, Gene always claimed, I don't know, rightly or wrongly, that 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 Chelsea were the first punk band. You know, and before the Sex Pistols or any of them, that Chelsea were the first punk band, Gene always claimed. 
and uh, Miles managed them, and um, and and so yeah, yeah. But I'll, I mean, I'll do it in the di- I'll do it in the diary. I, I've I've had a slight preview and it's spectacular. <laughs> it's adding to your canon. Uh, you could be on Spit Image if you could actually do anybody that anybody's ever heard of. Well, Gene, I've got I've got a gap in my teeth with Gene now, which adds to a bit of a. Because he used to look at you like that as well. You see, he was a fearsome chap. He probably was <laughs> right know, about the first found, book, man. Found myself stepping back on a respect. Oh, oh dear. Um, but yes, what a what a lovely section of diary. And sorry, sympathy video. I was going to say sympathy video oh, was, yeah. was covered covered at the same at the same time. That that's that that and dry land are probably the the two best videos we made. Really, mm. back in the days where you'd make a video for for a song. I mean, the best video we've ever made is probably you know all one tonight by a country mm. mile. You know, that's that's the thing I'm proudest of. But. Um, Single videos, you know. They, I mean, Dry Land was wonderful, and um, and Sympathy, they they did make a great job of that. Um, despite having left most of the movie in a church in Mexico, uh, Bill and um, Andrew, they went out clubbing and uh, left most of the movie in a church. Got back to England, realised they hadn't got it. And they managed to cut what they managed to cut the video from from what they had, which was only about half of what they'd shot, um, which was a shame. So it would have been even better. But it it, it is a great it's it, it, it's it's a good video because the thing about Mexico City is is it is a movie. You can point a camera in any direction, and it's amazing. You know the, the the graffiti on the walls, the colours of the buildings, the people. The people are so beautiful um, and smiley and and Mexican. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. The people in Mexico are just so Mexican. <laughs> They're just so bloody Mexican, and it's so lovely. Um, and um, it's so unfair the way Hollywood. And and certain other, you know, leaders of the free world in more recent times have, have, have characterised the Mexicans as some kind of low life and not to be trusted, because nothing could be further from the truth. They're, they're such lovely, lovely, caring people, and the men are very, very much in touch with their feminine side. I've, I've found, you know, quite the opposite of the sort of desperado, gun-toting, post office robbing. <laughs> oh, bank robbing! I think <laughs> do, do, dr- drug dealing. Do they have post offices in in Mexico? I don't know. Um, well, how do you get a birthday card to anybody? Well, maybe you don't. Oh, I can't believe the Mexicans don't do birthday cards. No, they probably well, they probably have like they send each other skulls or something. Grief! That must be one hell of a Clintons they've got De- over there. Death Day is a big thing, isn't it, in Mexico? The old Day of the Dead and everything. That's yeah. a very interesting thing they do, you know. I mean, they, they go, uh, on the Day of the Dead, you go uh, with your family and your, your extended family and you go to the grave of your dead relatives and you have a little picnic with them. You open a, you open a bottle of wine and you celebrate 
their life with them on the Day of the Dead. That's and a it's nice actually, idea. And it's quite groovy, you know. I like that. Yeah, it's it's, it's really cool and, um, you know, and, and, and unique, I think, to their culture. But it's a really cool thing to do, isn't it? A way of honouring you. Go and see your old mum. Get sandwiches out, a few volivants. I don't know if they have volivants in Mexico. But... Nobody has volivants anymore. <laughs> it's not just the hey, Mexicans. Hey, don't bring that volivant here, amigo. <laughs> My friend. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, well, at least, at just... least we haven't degraded ourselves by doing a, a Mexican accent. <laughs> I, yeah, I went and did the Hollywood Mexican accent. Didn't <laughs> Absolutely. I? No, they don't talk like that either. <laughs> I, I mean, short of picking a sombrero, sombrero, I don't know what else you could have done, really. But <laughs> crossed bullet belts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear. Uh, no, oh. I love, love, love the Mexican people. I've got some very good friends there, and. Even the people I don't know, are, I mean, they're just so lovely and and so beautiful. You know, you you point a, you can't point a camera in any direction in Mexico without making a great movie. It, provided a, you bring the footage home. Provided you, yes, provided you 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 do actually hang on to it for long enough to to make the edit. In answer to the question, how could this possibly go wrong? <laughs> Bring the bloody film over. <laughs> oh, that was a long drive out of that out of that <laughs> bloody railway station. That was my fault. I, I I slept in. I slept in, and then and then and then we got there ten minutes after the train had gone through the station. It only went through once each day, and Bill and Andrew were furious. And, oh, sorry, mate. I I slept in. <laughs> I actually dreamt I'd got up and was in the shower. <laughs> And I dreamt I was going up and down in the lift. Then <laughs> oh. the phone rang. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Where the fuck are you? Oh, my God. Well, I've had three showers. I've been up and down <laughs> twice. <laughs> well, I think, I think we'll leave it there for 26. Um, <sighs> it uh, it's already feels like it's turning into a bit of an epic. Um, and uh, and have you got a busy day? Have I got a busy day? Well, I've got Graham Timms in. Uh, Graham Timms is um, uh, the a decorator extraordinaire. Oh. He's got a PhD in decorating, wow. and he's um, he's doing Vibes's bedroom. So we've got we've got the painters in, if you'll pardon oh. the expression, um, and uh, but we actually have. And oh. so he's labouring down. He was rubbing down when I came up, um, but he may he may well have stopped rubbing down now and be touching up. Right? Who knows? Um, oh, and I'm going to go in the afternoon uh, out to Oxford to see uh, my grandson Ronnie because I haven't seen him for a while, um, and uh, I'll terrorise him, of course, because he's yes, absolutely petrified of me. Um, so I'm going to treat him to um, another scare by right. existing. Right. Um, but I've got to go and see him, haven't I? Can't, yeah, of course you have. Can't be completely, I don't know. I mean, at some point he'll be less frightened of me. Well, that's the hope. Probably the, the more often I go, the more he'll get used to me. 
So Lynetta usually babysits him on the, on Monday afternoons. So because I'm not I'm not in racket today. Um, because for reasons unknown, actually, I think I think Mike Hunter's. Oh, I think. Oh no, I think they're all having a big listen, listen through, watch through of our forthcoming uh, Cardiff live DVD from the right. last tour. It's fi- it's finally been authored and you know exists. So they all have to watch it through to check it works. So they're going to do that, I think, today. And um, I can't imagine anything worse, so I won't be there. Right. Fine. So they're there watching. Not worse than it, just worse than having to sit and look at myself. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Not pleasant. No, I get that. It's funny because it's not as bad on a podcast because I don't mind saying that, though. When I first started doing this, I didn't like it, but now I've got used to it. I'm okay listening to the podcasts. Yeah. Oh, no, I enjoy listening to podcasts. They make me giggle. Mm. I think I laugh as much when I listen to it again as when we're... In fact, probably more than when we're recording it. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, because you, you sort of forget the funny things that yeah. went down, don't you? And then you hear them again and they make you titter. We we do send each other little messages with, with odd lines as we're as we're listening back, uh, which is quite amusing. Anyway, we'll wrap up because we just we just rambling yes, now, aren't we? We might um, start to sound like we're sycophants. Yes, yes, darling. Uh, re- like reviews, an, reviews. It's, it's what you call it. What do you call an elephant with the flu? <laughs> Never mind. A sycophant. Anyway. Oh, God. I just made that up, and <laughs> yeah, really, it's not bad, is it? <laughs> well, it's not great. <laughs> coming to a coming to a cracker near you, um, <laughs> this group. Maybe we to do that. Maybe see if we could start a range of Corona Diaries crackers. <laughs> you can write the jokes. Purple hat. Purple hats for everybody. Yeah, I, I think they should just have uh, the punchlines in them. You know. <laughs> no, <laughs> not the feed line. <laughs> There'll only be the two of us. Yeah, you just you just have a punchline and then you, you know make <laughs> make your own joke up. <laughs> we're here all we're here all week, folks. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. Have a nice week and and Thank um, you. reviews, everybody. If you get a chance to review, that'd be oh, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah, um, you know, uh, really would help. Don't mention my teeth. Don't mention his teeth. No, I'm trying to keep it quiet. I think I've failed now. <laughs> I was hoping no one had noticed. Then you videoed me. <laughs> yes, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, apologies. The cat, the cat is out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, but you, do you know what? You slipped it in really well. <laughs> Second time I've used that phrase this morning. <laughs> Probably shouldn't go for a third. Right. <laughs> Calling it a day. Do you want the yeah. last word? Um, yes. Sycophant. Dave Market
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.